Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, April the 18th, 2023. Lots of news these days about the Ukraine, Taiwan, lots of other hotspots around the world. But I was struck with another piece of news. Um, uh, the world's highest core to set out countries' climate obligations after Vanuatu, which is a small series of islands off the coast of Australia near New Guinea, secured a historic UN vote, something I didn't know very much about. In fact, I knew very little about Vanuatu. But I was uh, referred to this by the Twitter page of my guest today, Tanis Rideout. She's a distinguished uh, Canadian novelist and poet. Some of you will be familiar with her first novel, Above All Things, which won a lot of prizes. And she has a new book out. It came out last year in Canada, and it's out imminently in, North, in, in the United States. It's called The Sea Between Two Shores. And uh, coincidentally, it is indeed about, uh, at least in part, the Republic of Vanuatu, um, near somewhere between Australia and Papua New Guinea. I've never been there. Most of us haven't, but it sounds like a remarkable place. Uh, Tanis is joining us from Los Angeles today. Uh, Tanis, tell us a little bit about Vanuatu. I have to admit, I don't know very much about it. Yeah, I think most people's uh, sort of familiarity with it uh, is probably there was a season of Survivor that was set on Vanuatu uh, quite a number of years ago. Um, so I think if people recognize the name of it, that's often from where, uh, though, as you just pointed out, it has been in the news recently. They've been making a lot of big strides um, around uh, environmental issues, which is so relevant to all of Oceania. Yeah, all and close to your heart and also part of yeah, the novel. Yeah, those all those like fairly low-lying islands that are really starting to see uh, their their land disappear under the, you know, under the sea because of ongoing climate change. So um, that's kind of what most people know. I had known absolutely nothing about Vanuatu before my husband and I decided we were going to go on vacation and we decided we wanted to go somewhere to that region of the world and uh, Vanuatu climbed really quickly to the top of the list for scuba diving but also because you can walk to the top of a volcano on one of the islands um, but uh, it was just an extraordinary experience it's like this very tropical beautiful place series of small islands very different from one end to the other I was mostly in the center and southern end of the uh, islands the northern end is quite different different languages different um traditions right. uh, how many islands are there oh gosh i'm not sure to be honest i want to guess somewhere around yeah i mean 70? according to the bbc there are 80 yeah so i was gonna uh, guess once around known as the new hebrides which is about yeah. as obscure as you can get pretty yeah much. yeah because i think it was i think it was cook that decided to call it the new hebrides um, because it reminded him of Scotland. So, um, I mean, it does these sort of... So what what year were you there on holiday with your husband? It was about six years ago now. 
and uh it just like yeah, you it, can't take a novelist anyway tennis no. figured out that it's true uh, make it what is it about you and water uh your <laughs> award-winning uh book of poems uh arguments with the lake is about lake ontario yeah is there something about water that brings out the poet and the novelist in you yeah i guess so i i've oh i grew up near the water i grew up partially in bermuda my dad was in the canadian military and um so we were stationed in bermuda for a while i also grew up on the shores of lake ontario in a town called kingston um here in la we don't live near the beach but um you know, the ocean is still pretty close by. I've always been drawn to the water. I love this transitional area of a seashore or a lakeshore where, you know, it's partially land and partially water. And then I started doing work a number of years ago with an environmental justice organization in Ontario that at the time was called Lake Ontario Waterkeeper is now called Swim, Drink, Fish. And they had asked me to write some things for them around water. And I sort of looked back and I was like, oh, water's kind of been percolating away back there in my brain for a long time. And it's where I go for relaxation, for sustenance, for like, there's nothing better than sitting by a body of water. And even the thing I'm starting to work on now, uh, there's a river that features very predominantly in it. And again, Lake Ontario is in it. So um, there's something so reflective about water. It takes it lets us imagine so much i think you know the depths of it will you know terrify us and encourage us and there's still so much we don't know and uh there's such history and uh carried in the water as well so yeah i think it's it's one of the things i love water imagery it's one of the things i keep coming back to for sure um there's more water as well in this novel because Part of it, at least, uh, may not take place, but Nova Scotia figures quite centrally in it. And of course, the islands of Nova Scotia, I guess, are the Canadian equivalent to Vanuatu. Did you purposely choose to juxtapose these two islands, one in Canada and one um, uh, near Papua New Guinea? Not particularly. What sort of drew me to that? So when I was in Vanuatu, I hadn't had any intention about writing at the place about the place at all. Um, but when we were there um, on the first island we stayed on, I was reading this guidebook, and there's a little tiny paragraph in this guidebook that somebody had left behind about uh, Canadian missionaries who had come to the island and who had been killed on the island, and they were from the Maritimes. Um, Halifax, Nova Scotia area. And I was really struck by that. My family is originally from the Maritimes. They're from New Brunswick, not from Nova Scotia. But there was suddenly, suddenly that idea opened up to me a lot. The notion that, you know, obviously, like, we think about sort of the colonization of Canada a lot, and in terms of, you know, white people coming and settling, Europeans coming and settling. But I hadn't known about the, the impact that Canadians, though they were not even really known as Canadians at the time, had missionizing in other parts of the world. And so that interested me and sort of felt like a connection to sort of my own history, which is, you know, sort of Scotch Presbyterian also. So that, I just found that connection between these two incredibly disparate places, like almost exactly on the opposite sides of the world, that um, those those two peoples could find their ways to each other and um, connect in the in this way, um, so kind of gave me another 
sort of string to pull on for for research and for writing. So tell me a little bit about the indigenous peoples of Vanuatu. Were they like or are they like the indigenous peoples of New Guinea who are about as indigenous and as, I don't know what the right word is, traditional or authentic as any peoples anywhere in the world? Uh, so there's a huge range of sort of different cultures across the islands. I remember reading at one point in time, sort of there's this um, sort of anthropological idea that um, sometimes peoples contained within smaller spaces try and differentiate themselves more from each other, sort of family-wise or tribe-wise or clan-wise, whichever word you kind of want to use, than people who cover more vast spaces. And so like the number of languages spoken across Vanuatu is incredibly high, the number of indigenous languages um, that people that who live very close to each other might not speak remotely the same language. And they they were, the, the country works in sort of French and English and uh, their uh, language of Islama. Um, but the, the sort of the traditions from one end of the country to the other are vastly different as well. How people dress, what they eat, how they cook, but there's different modes of art and drawing from one end to the other. So it's really like sort of trying to like pick a particular place. And I sort of had decided to set my novel on a fictional island, but in a particular area that I sort of which was part of where I had visited and then tried to research. And um, I was lucky enough to have some um, local uh, readers who I hired to work with me too would be like, oh no, you would never hear that name in this area of the country, or you would never, they would, wouldn't dress like this, they would dress like this or, or these kinds of things, which so there's, um, there's a very strong, they call it custom, um, tradition still across the entire country so in, in in ethnic terms would the, the 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 original peoples of these islands would they have been like fiji or uh, they're Guinea? they're known as melanesian so sort of across the um oceania you get polynesians micronesians melanesians and so predominantly the people from vanuatu uh, come from Melanesian background, though there is at one end of the island, there's kind of this bit more Polynesian bent that kind of comes in and you get sort of more Polynesian traditions and names and things like that, which is really interesting. So, uh, but yeah, eth ethnically, they're more Melanesian. And how did they get there in the first place? Does anyone know? Oh, man, I've there's some really great books out there about sort of the the theories about how, which direction sort of people spread across uh, all of Oceania, like whether they sort of came like from the Soviet continent and across, or like did some people come from uh, the, um, the West coast of South America and come across the other way. And uh, I have read some of that, but I wouldn't even want it like, I, I don't know enough to even kind of dip my toe in, in that water, but there are some incredible, incredible books out there. I'm trying to think. There's one that um, I referenced in the epigraph of, uh, of the novel um, that I don't even have a copy of it handy here um, that uh, is about sort of the history of, uh, of Oceania. Right. So, so let's fast forward or fast backwards to 1800 is when your, your <laughs> novel is set. Uh, tell me about, Vanuatu back then, 200, more than 200, 232 years ago. What was it like? Who was there? 
And why does the novel, why is it in some way set in 1800? Yeah, there's, um, I think, again, one of those things that I was surprised to learn uh, sort of through researching is that um, the Pacific Ocean is a lot busier than I thought it was when I first started uh, researching and, and reading. Uh, but predominantly, um, there were, you know, indigenous local peoples living on the islands. There have been some traders through Cook went through, I don't know, whenever Cook's voyage was, that was in the 1700s. Where, where was Cook killed? Was it? Cook was killed in Hawaii. Right. Yeah, on so. Big Island, Hawaii. Um, and But so he was the first, now I'm trying to remember my history, whether he was the first or the second um, uh, European to kind of stumble across. And uh, how, particularly the British, did they essentially appropriate everything they wanted in terms of uh, their experience on the island? What were they looking for? So not for a long time, honestly. They sort of, um, there wasn't, like, these these islands are so spread out across the Pacific. And so mm -hmm. it was kind of a bit more of a stopping point for, for a long time. People would, you know, stop and get food or, you know, fresh water and that kind of thing. And so you'd get traders coming through. and um, mm -hmm. But it was really um, sort of missionaries who started to be the first. Yeah, it's so um, far away. I mean, in terms of, British rivalry with other European powers, mm -hmm. Spain, with France. It's so yeah. far away from India, yeah. far away from Australia. It really is. And so it started out, yeah, with sort of missionaries, like, you know, kind of dotting across the Pacific. And, you know, so they would kind of be there on their own and there would be mission ships that would go by. And, um, you know, you'd have the British or French Navy kind of, you know, come by once in a while to check on things and occasionally get into serious scuffles. But um, but for the longest time, it was it was just sort of traders pitching up to sell um, to harvest uh, copra, which is uh, sort of coconut oil and things like that before you start to get any real presence on that. But then once they kind of got in there, there was uh, Vanuatu is also really fascinating because it was co-run by the French and the English for a long time. And so they had a government called a condominium government and they literally had like two separate justice yeah. systems. And it was like sort of this whole craziness. It's, it's, it's all complex. And uh, Tanis, you, you, you specialize as a writer in moral complexity. Uh, and particularly in this book, in terms of the missionaries, in terms of colonization, and in terms of, of course, the environment and today. How would you summarize these missionaries? Were they doing good? Were they doing bad? Oh, that's so complicated. I think they think they were doing good, of course. You know, I don't think they set out to, you know. They, they weren't they traditional were colonialists then. They weren't appropriate. They were appropriating souls, not land. Yeah. And I mean, certainly within um, North America, it's uh, the, the church was so much a part of that colonization. And um, in Canada, you know, we had a terrible residential school system that was largely facilitated and run by the churches. There was some of that here in the U.S. as well. Um so it was always kind of hand in hand. But I think when you get down to any one individual who's like kind of trying, you know, is going out there, I think they were trying to do good. I think a lot of them failed incredibly at it and like 
didn't want to understand, didn't want to. When you say they failed, they they were bullies, they used their power. Absolutely. You know, I think like whenever you're trying to separate people from their language or their customs or those kind of things and impose your own, um, you know, and whether that's done through reward or punishment, um, then it's, yeah, it's, you know, it is a version of colonialism. It is colonialism. Um, So, but I think that people had their own various reasons for trying to do these things. And I think it is complicated. Um, But I think overall, you know, there's, um, there was a lot of bad that was done on behalf of most of the churches. In a way, uh, as a Canadian, um, is this book an attempt to apologize? It's an attempt, I think, to interrogate that. I think I I came to it not having any answers, not that I have answers now having written it, but I have read a lot and continue to read a lot about reconciliation in Canada and reparations mm. here in the U.S. And I... I'm interested in how we reconcile our, our past, our collective past and our personal past. And I think it can seem like such a massive, massive thing to try and make good for that sometimes it's easier not to think about. And so part of the idea of the book was to make it about these two families coming together and not about these two countries coming together, not about these kind of or the church in this country, but about two families who are trying to reckon with their their collective pasts and I just I have as many questions as I did when I started it um I don't think apologizing is is the right thing to do or is enough to do we have to do better systemically we need to uh yeah we need to like really reckon with this and move towards a more reasonable reconciliation than is currently going on well, we've but we've done a, a number of shows on the idea of uh, reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Margaret Jacobs. She's a historian of the indigenous peoples of of, of the United States, and then with um, a couple of other writers. I'll just put them up on screen. Right. Uh, Margaret Jacobs has an interesting uh, book out about. Um, uh, after 100 years of winter in search of re- reconciliation on America's stolen lands. It's a mm. different kind of book from yours. She was on the show. Um, right. Is that the business that you're trying to explore in your novel about whether or not we should be apologizing, whether or not uh, reconciliation is something that is a kind of uh, moral indulgence on our part? I mean, in Canada, of course, the issue of responsibility, moral guilt is explored by all sorts of people. Tanya Talaga mm-hmm. was on the show. I'm sure you're familiar right, with yeah. her work. All our relations. Um, are you? My sense is that you're slightly ambivalent about the idea of us moderns apologizing for the crimes of our ancestors. No, I wouldn't say that at, at all, actually. I think that um, we benefit from... Uh, uh, what our ancestors did as, you know, as settlers, as white people. I, I benefit from 
whatever actions went on. And I have to admit, I don't know a ton about my own personal family. I don't think that that matters. The fact of the matter is, is that the, my position is garnered because other people suffered. Um, so I'm, I'm not ambivalent. I think we do need to do better. But I you would to- uh, somebody like Margaret Jacobs, who focuses on reconciliation on America's stolen lands. This is something that you would be sympathetic with and perhaps the novel in its own way, it's a very different kind of story, but nonetheless sympathetic for the idea of reconciliation. Yeah, I think what I'm interested in is also like what that looks like and what, and also in, in also in personal ways, I think that that's kind of what I'm interested in now, like even the book that I'm working on now, which is incredibly different. Right. Um, in, in a way, it's it's. I won't say it's easier, but in a way, it's more appropriate for a novelist. It's it's uh, it's territory for a novelist that is easier in in some ways, I think, to to explore uh, because it's as you suggest, and both in this conversation in your book, it's so complicated. Yeah, and I think part of part of what I think we come up against is again, that it feels so overwhelming. And so I think if you can not boil it down, but if you can filter it a little bit through sort of individual characters, and the book is told from the point of view of about, I'm going to say, eight or 10 different characters, half of whom are Ni Vanuatu and half of whom are Canadian, of varying ages and genders, and um, and each of them coming to this story and this, their collective history with their own thoughts about what they're doing there and what can be gained from this and what is the point of this. Um, I think it allows readers a way to kind of contemplate these sort of bigger ideas that can seem really like they happen over there, that the government is going to figure out our reconciliation plans Mm. or our reparation plans. When I do think that there's ideally ways for all of us to do better. And do you I think, think there's a danger there of making this too complicated? I mean, a- a- every every injustice can be approached in many different perspectives. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think analyzing the perspectives is necessarily the the problem, though. I think that um, I think it's allowing room for the perspectives that haven't been there for a long time, that we need to re-examine our histories, re-examine them, re-examine how we're teaching them, re-examine how we're learning them, uh, which was a learning experience for me, like rethinking about um, Canadian history and international history and how Canada acts in the world. Um, you know, I think it's a long process um, but I hope that we're, I hope that we're moving towards something better, to something that's more equal, that's something that's um, more understanding. Uh, Tanya, uh, Tanis, um, I don't want to give away the story. We want people to read the book. It's just coming out in the U.S. Uh, but tell us the outlines of the book. I mean, it's not, I'm, when I say a page turner, I mean that I, I think it would be wrong to call it driven by narrative, by the story, but nonetheless, there is a, an important story there. Yeah, no, I think it's a much more meditative book than above it's all things. It's a more n- nuanced book. Yeah, above all things was, you know, an 
epic historical romance about mountain climbing. It's it was entirely sort of driven by plot. But yeah, um, gone from the mountain to the lake, from <laughs> exactly. the mountain to the seashore. Um, but essentially, the sea between two shores is about two families: one uh, from Toronto, um, and one from Ni Vanuatu, both of whom are um, suffering from a tragic loss. They've both lost. Uh, children, which is not giving anything away. It happens in the first chapter of the book. Um, and so both in very devastated places and through sort of a series of phone calls, they decide to come together in Vanuatu to reconcile their collective history. So the ancestors of the Canadian family were missionaries who were killed on this island. And the Vanuatu family are the descendants of the indigenous people who were there at the time. And so it is kind of taking this kind of bigger idea of sort of first encounters and that kind of things and trying to filter it through this kind of very small drama at the end of the day of these two families trying to figure out what that looks like and is it possible and what does it mean and what do they want? And um, each of them come towards it with a different desire, a different hope and, um, they all leave with different versions of those too. The missionaries, of course, or the 19th century missionaries were Christians driven by that morality. What about the people, the indigenous peoples? What was their faith? Was it animistic? Yes, yeah. And um, definitely like a um, sort of faith in ancestors in um the, you know, honoring your ancestors, ancestors sort of uh, faith um, in the land. Yes. The sort of yeah. Eternal nature of the land. Absolutely. And a very large belief in magic in the land as well, that there was power in particular places, particular object, like natural objects, stones or trees or that kind of thing in particular areas of the land um, that there were particular we would, I guess, call them ley lines of the land. And um, and that also the people are very fundamentally of the land. They are, they don't just live on the land. They are from the land. The land is them. Um, and uh, which is just, it's such a wonderful thing to, to read about. Um, so different than... Mm. Sort of uh, given that the book is about redemption, um how do these true traditions, the Christian tradition and the animistic one, how do they differ in their yeah. approach to redemption? Yeah, it was interesting. I talked to one of the readers that I had at one point in time because I was thinking a lot about forgiveness because we often, I mean, obviously Christianity is so focused on forgiveness. To forgive is divine. You know, Jesus forgives the people who kill him. All, you know, like it's it's baked into um, the very thought of Christianity. And obviously, when we sort of talk about reconciliation and those kind of things, certainly from a Christian point of view, we automatically start drifting towards forgiveness and forgiveness kind of being the key of it in some way and when I was talking to one of my readers it's like would that be the way that a new Vanuatu person would would think of it it was about forgiveness and one of the things that she had talked about was that in sort of more traditional kind of peacemaking or or reconciliation ceremonies so like if you know somebody has you know 
injured somebody in their family group or what have you, um, that they would come together as a whole to sort of reconcile this thing. Because if I've, I don't know, burnt down your garden or something, I haven't just hurt you, I've also hurt our larger community. And so I also have to make good to the larger community. And that forgiveness is an individual thing. It's not a communal thing. And so forgiveness might come later, it, but it's not part, it's not inherently baked into the idea of reconciling a problem or um, making good about a, a wrongdoing. And I thought that was really fascinating. That was something that, um, yeah, it just seems so different than sort of Christian traditions of, we, we seem to want to start with forgiveness and then maybe do other things or apologies or that kind of thing. And this is much more about actually making good, making things right again. And then we can worry about forgiveness and apologies. And we, I feel like we often want to skip to the forgiveness and the apology part without doing the work of maybe making things right. Thomas, I wonder if we're at a point where the indigenous tradition is becoming increasingly mainstream, certainly in my conversations with Margaret Jacobs, Tanya Talaga, many others. It's the idea that for a few hundred years, we thought we had much to teach indigenous peoples and we generally wiped them out and caused them huge suffering, sometimes yeah. on purpose, sometimes by accident. And now we're coming increasingly to recognize, particularly when it comes to the environment, which is where we started with this uh, UN vote, uh, that we have much to learn from indigenous cultures. Maybe this is an area, this is a question, a theme that you might end with. Yeah, I think particularly, like, I think we're seeing more and more of that too around justice, um, you know, sort of more... Uh, indigenous or traditional modes of justice as opposed to you know we're very good at punishment and putting people in prison and things like that but not necessarily in the United States. yeah and not necessarily healing either the person or the community you're finding a way to like bring that together and I think we're starting to see that shift a little bit I certainly think even sort of around sort of family um law like a, we're seeing a lot more sort of divorces being held in a sort of more communal way and like kind of you know trying to move through something to a healing place instead of a more combative place so I think that comes from sort of a more indigenous tradition um versus yeah the notion of punishment but yeah I I hope I hope that that's the case I certainly feel like there's it feels a lot more accessible than it did for a long time for sure that you can now read like books like braiding sweetgrass or something like that and find those you know easily at your bookstore whereas it wasn't so long ago you know maybe there'd be a shelf this big of sort of indigenous um writing or history in um in your local bookstore so i think that that we're seeing more of it and hopefully you know there's just an opening an opening up of that knowledge as well 